Good morning, friends. All right. So uh, I've known about this assignment since, I don't know what, June? Uh, how to wreck a summer kind of thing. No, it's, um, I've had a long time to think about this. And the, the disadvantage of going after other people who handled this topic capably and in ways that were edifying. Uh, if, you, if you drift as I'm talking, you should drift into praying that this would be more about Jesus than it is about me. And I'm serious about that. So um, I'm, I'm going to pretend that this is really a question. Why, do you still, why are you still a Christian? And so I'm going to start with the short version of the answer, and it's right there. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Let's pray. Dear God, draw us to yourself. Make yourself more evident to us in wherever, whatever station we're in whatever we're struggling with, please meet us here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. He is here. He is not risen. This is more obvious to me than that the earth revolves around the sun. This is something that philosophers get to spend a lot of time thinking about. Like, what exactly do you believe, and what, is, what are the feels that go with those beliefs? The philosophers have a big word for it. It would be phenomenology. That's just what are the feels that go with your awareness of things. And when I think about Jesus is risen and the earth revolves around the sun, I'm more sure that Jesus is risen. So uh, I, I'd like you to just bear with me for a minute. I'm going to try to figure out exactly what the question is. This talk is supposed to answer the question, why are you still a Christian? Uh, I'm going to try to get closer to it by thinking about some analogies to it. This would be the method of casuistry for those of you that are suffering through bioethics right now. Um, um, so we're going we're gonna to try, we're going to take an unclear question, because I think the question is, has lots of things that it might mean, you know, and I could go full, I could pretend I can act like uh, Dr. Hallstrom or uh, Professor Slavovsky, uh, and I could... Say, <coughs> And I could give you different versions of the questions like, why are you still a Christian? And why are you still a Christian? Like that. Uh, but I can't act. So uh, I'm going to look at some analogies. So the first one is, uh, why do I still believe that the earth is 93 million miles from the sun? And I do, I do believe this. Uh, and I have looked at the arguments, really interesting parallax experiments, measurements taken from both sides of the planet. Um, uh, the perihelion of Mercury, that experiment gives me reasons, uh, the, the hypothesis gives me reasons to think that the, the sun is about that far away. Um, and mostly I just trust what I was told when I was a little kid. I wrote it down, I did well on tests, 93 million. Uh, but I don't probably believe it because of arguments. And in that way, it's kind of like the question, why am I still a Christian? because I can give you lots of arguments, but it's also unlike it in important ways. So 26 years ago, I was, uh, oh, I have the book with me, but I didn't, 
it's not easily gettable. Um, I contributed a chapter. The second chapter in this book is theistic arguments, 20 or so um, arguments that have as their conclusion that God exists. And for each one of them, I identify the, the greatest strength of the argument, the greatest weakness of the argument, and what I can tell you is that none of these arguments would convince a skeptic. All of them are comforting to people who know God, none of them are convincing to people who don't. And, even more importantly, the end of the chapter is a short version of what can be a very long argument to the conclusion, I don't need an argument at all. That, so, for example, just take a moment, think, do you know that there are other people in the room with you right now? Now, if some of you are thinking, I don't know, you've got a problem, you need to see help. There are other people in the room. There's a chance that you're a philosopher and you've convinced yourself that you're the only being that there is. Don't do that. <laughs> if, if, you tried to, if you took out your phone, don't. If you took out your phone um, and, and called someone and said, I'm with 800 other people right now, and they said, prove it, you couldn't. Not to a skeptic. A skeptic would say, yeah, you've, you've got a recording device that makes it sound like there are people all around you. Just take my word for it. Skepticism is easy. This is definitely the best way to go if your goal is winning arguments and not knowing the truth. So I don't think you need an argument for this, and I don't think this is the best analogy. It turns out I'm not still a Christian because the arguments are so fantastic. I think they're very, very good arguments, but I don't think the arguments do the work. But maybe it's like this. Maybe it's, maybe why are you still a Christian is like, why are you still an Orioles fan? Now, up until this summer, that was a, that was a really plausible candidate. Um, it's something I care about. And like, since you've been born, this is the first year that they had a winning record. So it's been embarrassing to be an Orioles fan for a long time. I've been an Orioles fan since 1969 when they won the World Series because, you know, I'm a front runner. Um, but I'm still an Orioles fan. Maybe it's like that. I just cling to it out of affection or some sense of, I need the world to be a good place. I'm an Orioles fan. Uh, no, it's not the best candidate because I really don't care about the Orioles all that much. I mean, more than I should, but not all that much. Um, and I'm not embarrassed at all about being a Christian. There's just, there's zero embarrassment. Um, I go to philosophy conferences where, I've been at philosophy conferences where out of 800 people, like all the people in this room, I was pretty sure I was the only person there who was a follower of Jesus. And I wasn't even a little bit embarrassed. I was looking for opportunities to tell them about Jesus that would, wouldn't just lead to anger. <clears throat> so this is like the question, why are you still a Christian? But it's not the best analogy. This is the best analogy. Why do you still love your wife? Let me explain why I still love my wife. Do you know her? If you did, you wouldn't need to ask. No, seriously. But if you don't know her, then the question at least makes sense. You might think that I could give you arguments that could convince you that she's worth getting to know. But the arguments aren't the reason I love her. It's, and that's why I think this is the best analogy. Because the, relation, because the question, why are you still a Christian, is a question about why I still love Jesus as my Lord. 
That's a question about a relationship. It's not about a pile of facts. It's not about things that I merely believe. It's about, well, it's about a relationship. And the answer is the relationship. Now I want to talk about my wife. But before I talk about my wife, my love for Jesus is wrapped up in the way it feels to read Luke 24. When I read that he's not here, he's risen, my heart leaps within me. It's sort of like hearing that my wife is coming. <gasps> yes. It's like that. If you said, okay, prove that you should be excited that your wife is coming, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and if she were in the room and you said, you stood up and said, I'm a skeptic. I think you need to prove to me that your wife is worth loving. Um, like, like she'd just stand up and yell at you, and she'd be right. <laughs> so I want to tell you about my wife, just a little bit. Uh, on June 5th of this last year, uh, I was in Washington, D.C. to teach uh, for Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, I was alone in a hotel room. My wife was two hours away in, uh, with my daughter near Baltimore. So here's D.C., here's Baltimore. That's why I'm moving my hands this way. Um, <clears throat> she's two hours away, and I have a pain right here. Pain in my chest. I'd had surgery three weeks earlier. There's a scar right there. You could ask me about that. Um, I had surgery three weeks earlier, and I'd spent eight, eight hours in the, in the car the day before, which meant I was a massively good candidate for a pulmonary embolism. Just between those two things, I'd thrown a clot. It was lodged in my lungs. The best explanation for this pain was that uh, I was going to die. So I called my wife, but um, so she's two hours away. It's 10 o'clock at night. I've spent three hours trying to convince myself it's nothing because I'm a guy. Just go with that. <laughs> this is extraordinary. Right. This is, this is extraordinarily guy behavior. If I ignore it, it'll go away. So um, I tried to ignore it, and I finally called her. I was afraid that my wife would yell at me. That would have been maybe reasonable. Um, she didn't. She said, oh. And so she's, she's talking to me, and she's looking up the closest emergency room. She's not telling me that. She's doing it. <laughs> and she's saying, so, how do you feel? So she's, she's trying to calm me down, because she knows that getting more agitated will not keep me alive longer if I really have a pulmonary embolism <laughs> or having a heart attack or something else. Um, and so she said, so um, you don't have to go to the emergency room, uh, but I would like it if you did. I said, I don't have to go? No. But if you did, that'd be fine. Now, I know my wife, we've been married 40 years, I know that my wife, my wife wants to scream into the phone, go to the emergency, but she's not because she loves me. She knows, she also knows that I'm much less likely to do it if she yells at me. So I'm not proud of that, it's just true. <laughs> so she calms me down. She says, oh, there's an emergency room only 10 minutes away. I will stay on the phone with you while you drive there and I will tell you, uh, I'll make sure you're okay. And she did. I had her, you know, I had the phone, you know, in the little holder thing, and, uh, and she was telling me what to do, 
take a take a right. Okay, because I had the location thing, and she's telling me what to do. I get to the. She stayed with me the, me with the whole way to the hospital, and I wasn't worried, even though I could feel this pain. I spent six hours in the emergency room. In the hallway, it looked like that. I was in the hall for six hours, um, which was okay. Um, nobody there was terribly good at their job except the triage nurse. She was fantastic. But everybody else was, let's just say, um, a little abrupt. <clears throat> they, did, uh, they gave me an MRI with uh, a, ca a CAT scan, no, a CT scan with a contrast dye and an X-ray and a cardiac enzyme labs and a bunch of other things. And after six hours, they said, you pulled a muscle, go home. <laughs> now, that's, that's a happy outcome. That's why I'm standing up here right now and not like in the ground somewhere. Um, <clears throat> well, my body would be in the ground. I would be in heaven. That'd be much better and all that. Uh, but <clears throat> um, my wife stayed with me through all of that. She stayed up the whole time. I learned later. She stayed up the whole time praying for me and for the doctors. And she didn't go to bed at, until 4.30 when I, and I, when I called her and said, I'm back in the hotel. <clears throat> so here's a brief summary. If you want arguments for why I know that my wife loves me or why I, love my, why I still love my wife, she loves me. That's a really big part of it. Uh, she's fun to talk to. She listens to me, which, that's impressive. Um, and <laughs> I know. I can be a tiny bit pedantic. Just... It's not that funny, Dr. Tate. Uh, <laughs> but it's also the case that our relationship, my love for her grows as I contribute to the relationship. I sing songs about her. I think about her. I know, to myself. I reflect on the excellence of my wife, which is all kinds of fun. And she serves other people, and she lets me help. Not a lot, because I'm not super trustworthy, but um, she teaches two-year-olds, and I help her figure out how to explain uh, the 23rd Psalm to a two-year-old. I'm not, well, she helps, she lets me help. I like that. My love for Jesus is the same as that. Why I still love Jesus as my Lord is a lot like that. It has a similar summary. He loves me. We talk to each other. My relationship with Jesus grows as I contribute to it. And he serves the way no one else can. Let me just say a little bit about those four things. I talk to Jesus every day. This morning, uh, fantastic, the, uh, the order that I'm going through and reading through the Bible, uh, this morning was Exodus 13 and 14, which was the Red Sea. <gasps> and then, uh, with it, not, I mean, uh, utterly providentially, uh, I, w I read Psalm 78, which is a reflection on God's deliverance of Israel through the Red Sea. And I heard my master talk to me. And then I talked to him. This morning we had a conversation. And uh, yesterday I was at worship. That's uh, Lookout Press. I was, I was there for the worship service. And uh, I spend time with Jesus, kind of like spending time with my wife. Um, I do things that enable me to reflect on Jesus' goodness to me. I sing hymns just especially when I'm anxious. I sing hymns. I have a Trinity hymnal, and my children learn to figure out my mood by what hymns I was choosing to sing to myself. Dad's worried. We should go find out what it is. Yeah, not yet. He'll get past it. He'll get to the hymns that are about joy. It'll be okay. 
Um, I listen to podcasts that are Christians talking about what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of this culture. Um, I'm reading, I'm about a third of the way into this brand new book by, uh, by Samuel James on digital liturgies on the ways that my relationship with the internet are shaping my heart. And it's, it's a rough read, but good for me. Uh, Samuel James loves Jesus, wants me to love Jesus more, uh, so I read books, I listen to podcasts, I sing hymns, um, and I surround myself with uh, music. I'm pretty much always listening to something, but it's by Christians, so that the earworms that are living in my head, but when I'm not trying to think about something else, are for king and country, or Larry Norman's Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music, that one. Uh, which is 1977 or 79. Like, even Jay's too young for that. Um, <laughs> Grant's not too young for that. You remember Larry Norman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rocker. Headbanger. It was great. Uh, but uh, I like all of it. But I spent most of my time filling my imagination with the songs of Jesus. It's kind of like spending most of my time thinking about how wonderful my wife is. Your relationship grows in part by the contribution that you make to it. Why am I still a Christian? I spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, he buries his head in the sand. He doesn't think hard about objections to his Christian faith. But no, you forgot what my day job is. <laughs> uh, I teach philosophy. Uh, I get to read David Hume. And Christopher Hitchens, who I think is a, both of these are delightful writers. Hitchens is the better writer. Um, or, or, or Nietzsche, or Marx, or uh, Michel Foucault. These are all people who don't know Jesus. And they think there's something really, really wrong and stupid with me for loving Jesus. And I read them carefully. I enjoy reading all five of those. Five? Yeah, all five of those authors, I enjoy reading them. I learn things. I don't just enjoy reading it thinking, ha, you lose. Uh, I learn things. They see things I don't see. But I also know that they're frustrated. All of them want what I have, which is to know that my life has a purpose and that I'm loved, and they don't know that. And they wish they did. Why am I still a Christian? Well, have you met him? that only Jesus can do this. Six or seven months after the Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine, uh, Keith and uh, Kristen Getty put on a concert and they included a singing of their uh, He Will Hold Me Fast, where the first verse was sung by a, woman, by a Ukrainian woman in Ukrainian, and the second verse was sung by a Russian woman in Russian. Jesus heals things that other people can't. And so I was watching this video uh, thinking, wow, I'm, you know, I'm getting uh, overwhelmed by the video as it is. And, and then, because uh, I hadn't read the description of it, and, and then they showed that one of the people singing on the stage was uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed from an accident when she was small, and she goes around telling people how wonderful Jesus is even though she can't move. And I just broke down. There are very few things that make me emotional. For those of you that have had me, you know. There's just a handful of things. And Jesus making all things new makes me cry. Now, even now, thinking about the beauty of Jesus 
causing believers in Ukraine and Russia to praise God together and to be joined by a woman whose life is infinitely harder than mine, singing, He will hold me fast. Well, why do I still love Jesus as my Lord? Have you met Him? Do you know Him? Thank you.